As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Mike Blackney, current director at Team Fan Club. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Mike. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a very busy period for you. There's a lot going on. Yes, we're very busy in the fan club office right now. Which, you know, some of that we'll obviously talk about shortly. Um, But this is Dev Diary, a series where we speak with developers from all around the world about their different experiences and how they've come to be where they are in the industry right now. And we're going to begin things, and I don't know if you've caught any of the episodes in the past, but uh, with the, the stock standard question, which is around your basically your origins, where did uh, where did your gaming experience first begin? What were some of those first games that you played? Do you recall the first game you played? Uh, I, I'm not sure I recall the very first game that I played, but I recall my oldest memory and the one that's the viv- most vivid is playing Moon Patrol. Oh, okay. I was about four or five years old. Um, it's nice to have someone on the show that's not talking about Doom or something like that. It's a, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it's a, that's a common all... story. I understood oh, yeah. when I understood what when Tim Willett said that to me, but everyone else just needs to back off. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Moon Patrol. Um, yeah, so Moon Patrol was like you. It's it's a side scroller. It's an um, what was it? Atari? No, no, not Atari. Um, an Apple. It was an Apple IIe game, right? Yeah. But it was also a um, an arcade game, and that's where I remember playing it first was in the arcade um well not in the arcade it was on the RAF base because my yeah, okay. dad was in the air force and uh i went to a party there was like a weekend party so that you bring your family bring your kids you know get to know the families the, the g-rated one yeah exactly yeah, the, the family party. Yeah. Not the, i've heard the stories about the uh non-g-rated parties <laughs> but let's not talk about them um but i remember being different podcasts different time maybe, maybe maybe even three and um I was loitering around my dad for most of the party trying to squeeze 20 cent coins out of him because nice. I found this arcade machine, right? It was a one of the um, the tabletop arcade machines that you could put a beer on and yep. it was 20 cents ago to play Moon Patrol and I'd never seen anything like it. Um, if I'd seen video games before, I'd not really play, paid attention to them, yep. but I had a chance to play it. He gave me some money because he was like, yeah, kid knock yourself out go <laughs> yeah exactly i'm trying to have a beer with my mates i don't get too many days off um and uh yeah so i i played it and i spent all the money and we died so quickly and i had no idea what i was doing i don't need 20 cents more please yep exactly Give me let's keep going more. so i probably spent a good five bucks on it and this is back when five dollars was you know a lot thirty dollars yeah. yeah these days and uh for someone who joined the raf um you know because you, for all the reasons you join the military because you don't have lots of money that yeah. was a lot of money for my dad um but it was amazing for me and my sisters to play that and yeah since then it was just the love of it every time i saw an arcade machine anywhere bubble bubble um or ninja turtles eventually um i'd just be just so hooked into watching so um yeah you kind of link everything back to that how did things kind of develop from there what sort of experiences did you have whilst growing up um honestly i didn't have a computer for a long long time yeah okay Um, and i couldn't do anything making games wise or even using a computer at all um for ages but i i love playing the games so my parents got me an atari 2600 um because it was cheaper than a nintendo yep um and eventually we rented a sega master system from the video store when they came out and missed the, out on nintendo rented a sega oh yeah okay yeah, i had a really <laughs> rough end of the stick <laughs> i had a best friend uh rich cutler i grew up with a good friend of mine um back in high school he had a nintendo and he would play mario and zelda and all of these classics that everyone knows and i would yep. play psycho fox right and um eventually sonic right but before before sonic i loved my master system i'd play rampage on it um i'd play action action fighter i think it was called it was like a terrible um top down uh kind of a shoot 'em up where you played as a car that turned into an airplane with arguably the most generic name in the world 
yes, action, <laughs> action fighter. I think it was one of the um, launch titles, so it was like, let's just put something out. Yeah, we'll save we'll save the creative names for later on when we've got some good ideas. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so I played so many games, and eventually I got mates who um, I had a friend whose dad owned the local um, computer store, and he had a friend, uh, a friend of a friend, in yep. the end, uh, who had a Mega Drive back when they first came out we played it and it blew our minds so i got onto mega drives and i played them and i was just like i was the kid who knew how to play games i was a gamer through and through right like i played video games every weekend i played them um i was a little pudgy kid yeah okay uh loved to sit there playing the games all the time at home because it was something to do and then eventually um my parents decided to invest in a computer and they bought some crappy old computer that had um qbasic installed and when I ran out of playing uh, the games that came pre-installed on the computer, Start I started to experiment a bit around with QBasic. Yeah, and I found that in the library because my dad used to always take me to the library when I was young. Just you know, grab some books. Um, he'd grab some books to read, and I'd grab some as well, take them home. I found some books there that were how to make your own adventure games, and I was like, wow! And it had this gorgeous artwork on the front that had like a picture of uh, armor and a sword. And inside it had just a really standard text adventure that you could code yourself. Yeah. Um, and I coded it up and I spent probably eight hours one weekend coding up this entire text adventure, like line by line writing out all of the uh, characters perfectly. Oh, yeah? And it didn't work. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not for me. Whatever, we'll get out of yeah, here. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Some people would have done that, but I was like, you know what? I spent eight hours on this because I love games that much. I love yeah. playing the games that much. I wanted to make a new game that I hadn't played before. And I, I was f- furious. And so I went through line by line every single character trying to work out where my mistakes were. Yeah. And in going through and, and, making, and fixing up those mistakes, I learned the basic syntax so all of the things that i'd copied out by hand i read them and it says print and it says go to yeah okay um, and it says dim and i'm like what does dim mean i don't know what dim means they're actually, they're actually just insulting you at the time <laughs> <laughs> well, I felt it, yeah. okay, come on mate that's just... <laughs> there you go there you go i'm just copying it i'm just a kid <laughs> um so in, in the end i i let the real low level basics of um like, and, and I don't mean low level in, in the good sense. I mean, like, it was surface level. I, yeah, I the entry skills. Level, the entry entry level stuff. Um, enough to be able to fix it, but also enough to be able to improve it and fix up some of the mistakes they'd made in the book. Yeah, okay. You know? um, and that was incredible. And so suddenly it was empowering. So I fixed that. I played the game, and I was like, it's not a very good game in the end. It wasn't much fun, but it was mine. And it worked, and, and it worked. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate the fixing up the errors in the text in the in the text thing. As as a and we discussed this beforehand. As a teacher, I I often find little mistakes in the book, and I get students going, well, "But hang on, it says this." I'm math specifically, so they go check their answers yep. in the back of the book or whatever afterwards, and they go, "But it says this." I go, no, mate, no, no, hang on, just they're morons. <laughs> the people who write the textbooks, they don't have a clue. Just, yeah, just go yeah. go with your teacher and validate me, please. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, normally I would then ask, uh, was there a game in particular that kind of helped put you on that path as a, as a developer or consumer, but just, it seems like it was more the discovery that actually led you there rather than a particular title along the way. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that the program, um, that made me a good programmer, um, would be roguelikes. Yeah. Okay. Until I started playing them, I never really saw the scope of what kinds of things you could do. And the first time I played um, Angband, I felt like this is a game, and, and that's that's like a, a really old text game, uh, a text-based roguelike, and it's uh, set in the world of Middle Earth. So it's got um, Smeagol and um, hobbits and hobbits and elves and, yeah, and all that. Hobbit, and you can play as an elf, and it's um, it's really set in Middle Earth, um, and you go down into the um, the mines of uh, Angband. I think it is. It was originally Moria, but they changed it. And, uh, and so you go deep, 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 and eventually you kill, um, like, all of the named characters out oh, of the okay. universe. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's an interesting twist on it. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's bizarre. It's, it's really just a dungeon crawl. Like, it's a pure dungeon crawl. Yeah. Um, I loved it, but the complexity of the data in that was so intense. 
Um, and how I thought it was really interesting that you can look at this game, this text-based game, and kind of it felt like a real programmer's game because you can see the numbers and it's all about trying to. Yeah. Work okay. Um, but then after that, and this is probably the big twist, I played NetHack. Um, oh, okay. NetHack is like another another dungeon crawler. You go down and you find an amulet at the bottom of a dungeon, and then you take it out of the dungeon. But it's got so many mechanics in that game. Like you think you. you Sometimes when I think of uh, modern games with lots of mechanics, like a Metal Gear Solid, you know, you can shoot the watermelons and they'll bounce, or you can um, a guard if they see your shadow on the ground, then they'll react to it. Like NetHack Net. blows the heck out of that. But NetHack, so many different mechanics in that you you know you can pick up, you can kill a cockatrice, which is a creature that can turn you to stone, um, and then it leaves a corpse on the ground, and you can pick up that corpse and swing it at monsters, and it'll turn them to stone. But if you pick it up and you're wearing gloves, it'll stop you from turning into stone. Because if you pick it up and you're not wearing gloves, you'll just turn you're into dead, stone yeah. because it touches you, right? Um, Very if clever. If you're wearing gloves and then you walk downstairs and you're holding a cockatrice corpse and you stumble down the stairs because you're overburdened with too much stuff in your inventory, oh. you'll fall down and turn to stone because you'll fall on the corpse. It's like there are so many things in that game. Yeah, there's layers on layers. Layers upon layers. And that's just one creature, right? There's there's rust and there's um, oil and waterproofing your armor against rust. Like, there's so many mechanics. It's absurd. Never finished it, but it taught me um, the rich layers of coding. Well, that's, so that yeah, that, that's the thing. Good. You don't necessarily need to finish that. I can, I can imagine. I mean, even... Like, I never actually played the game when I was, when I was growing up at all, but that's opened my eyes a lot to the sort of things that were were possible and i mean obviously i'm you know pretty familiar with how things are these days and the sorts of experiences mm-hmm. we get but that's that's something else yeah I and it. something I that you it. don't really yeah like you said i mean you talk about what metal gear does these days but that's that's a whole other layer there yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah some people love uh, dwarf fortress and i hear that it does a lot of good stuff but for me it's always net hack have there been any other particularly influential games along the way or just personal favorites of yours that have uh, been franchises or standalone titles or whatever that have oh, really clicked yeah. so many i love silent hill um, oh yeah okay that, yeah that was something that brought me back into modern video games because for a while i was just playing roguelikes um, yeah okay maybe about five years um and then i bought a ps2 on a whim when they first came out i was just like oh yeah sure. i need a dvd oh, player <laughs> <laughs> yeah i did i did um and and so i went and lined up and i bought one um one of the first batch and then there were really not really many games out so i bought some ps1 games that looked good and um yeah silent hill the first one i played that and it loved the hell out of it 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 was scary the first resident evil i got as well um loved that and so i got into survival horror um a bit late but uh i started getting into all of them i silent hill 2 when they came out i was there day one i was like yeah i gotta play more of this and i got it and i loved it um i've, I've just been into horror the whole time okay so then. survival horror is a big thing for you then it's huge yeah, yeah and i guess you can kind of see or at least specifically the horror there's there's kind of traces of it within i guess the i mean we're working our way slowly towards your dead static drives but you can kind of see little <laughs> traces and influences uh from the what i've experienced when i've been down at pax and what yeah. you see in trailers and those sorts of things so i assume would that be fair to say that, yeah those kind of influenced at least in some small part they absolutely do. maybe tonally absolutely. yep 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 so Again, usually, and it's it's weird. We're kind of knocking off a few of my a few of the few of the questions along the way here. But uh, I'd start to lean into so where did the journey kind of begin? But with between the Q, with the Q basic stuff there, where we've well and truly covered that. But how did the journey into the games business start? To, uh, actually, start. Oh well, I was working in a supermarket, and I was actually in the supermarket for five years. I worked at Safeway. Yeah, okay. Um, and I was going through uni, and it wasn't really working for me. Um, what were you studying? I, I was studying software engineering oh, okay. at Swinburne. Um, and I was just having a lot of trouble actually getting to class because it just I was, it wasn't motivating me. Um, and I was making money. I was like, I'll take yeah. an extra shift here and there. Um, and I just kept working at that for ages. But eventually I got fired from that job. And um, Being too good at it. <laughs> sure, sure. Let's, yeah. let's go that way. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and that was fine because that was a real wake-up call for me. I was like, you know what? I've just been kind of spinning my wheels at life and not taking chances and not doing the things and trying to grab the things that I want. Because I had tried, I'd previously tried to get jobs programming, but 
no one took me seriously. I was like, I think I'm a really great coder. I think I can be great for any place that wants to take me on and give me a shot. But no one took me on. And um, what, why do you, personally, why do you think that was in the end? I think honestly... Just bad luck or... Oh, I think a lot time of people don't give kids a chance. Yeah, okay. Um, and I don't give kids a chance um, these days either. I think the, the world just has a lot of trouble trusting that um, people who are younger than 25 are actually yeah, okay. worth anything to the world. Um, and, you know, I think that's... It's, it's, it's good to give an opportunity to young people who want to work hard and want to do well. And a few people saw some real good in me, but in the end, nothing came of it. Um, I, I got a few jobs in web development and um, eventually I got given one shot at a, uh, a company in Warrandyte that was making software. And I worked there for a while and I was like, yeah, okay, good. This shows me that I can do it because they're asking me to do some work. I can do exactly what they want. Um, I coded at the time I was good at C++, which is a yep. programming language. Um, and I'd done some Pascal and some basic. And they said, listen, we want you to code in Visual Basic and Delphi as well, and some C. Um, and they're languages I'd never touched before. But because they're kind of similar to stuff that I'd used before, I was like, I'll do it. And I did it. And um, it was contract work paid per um, job that you did. And I still kind of made enough money to live. That's right. Um, programming languages I'd never used before. And I was like, yeah, this is really good. I can do this definitely. Um, and so then I just kind of tried to climb up from there. I was like, okay, I'm going to take every job I can. I want to um, apply for everything that's games peripheral. So one job I took was at Futuretronics here in Melbourne, which is like a Mad Cats controller. Yeah, off, yeah, I remember them. Off controller kind of place, yeah. I mean, they're a great company. They make um, they make third-party controllers is what I should say. And yeah. um, they... Uh, they were a great place to work for. I learned a lot from them. Um, and uh, I actually, I gave them the slogan that they still put on their um, product, which is uh, playing harder since 1979. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and it lives on. Good. The influence yeah. still persists. Yep. Yep. It's still, it's still on their branding. I checked it out last year, at least up until uh, 2019, uh, 2018, it was still there. But um, yeah, I went back to uni. I was just like, look, no one's taking me as seriously as they should. So I think what I need is that piece of paper that says, look, take me seriously. So I went back to uni and I got a game. That was degree. back to Swinburne again? Back to Swinburne, yep. yeah. Um, and I got one of the first games degrees that were around and they weren't really um, very different from software engineering. They were just a software engineering degree that had some specialization in multimedia. So yep. I did some typography and some animation and a few other things. And that was great. Um, and then I got a job based on exposure from that. Uh, I got a job at Transmission Games here in Melbourne, or IR Gurus, yep. they were at the time. And I did ha I did have them noted down. So you and was how long was that for in the end? Because I think I was. Oh, not uh, long. Yeah, like maybe a year years, or so. Two years, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and then they shut down because of the financial crisis. Yep. Um, and. Uh, yeah, yeah, we got um, we all got moved around. I went to work for uh, Trickstar Games after that, and I worked there for uh, maybe a year and a half. Um, and then I did some iPhone contract work and moved around uh, through different um, yeah through different contracts, basically as an independent contractor at the time, which was where the work was. Lots of mobile stuff. Yeah. Um, so some of the games along the way. So we're talking yeah, IR transmission, Trickstar. Um, because I, I did do a little bit of stalking before we nice. before we uh, before we started recording, so I did I, and I did kind of make notes of the games released in that sort of period. So we're we talking the likes of Heroes Over Europe, um, Ashes Cricket two thousand nine, yep. International Cricket twenty ten. That'd be about yep. right. That's right. Yep, yep. I also worked on um, F twenty two, um, which was uh, Jane's Advanced Strike Fighter. I think yep. it was released as JASF, um, a PC game. Um, I worked on that for a while, uh, and we also worked on Sin City um, at Transmission, which is a project yep. got, that got canned, and we worked on Road Ahead, which was another game that didn't end up getting released. Um, was, was the, a was the Sin City game. one, that, that was made public at some point, wasn't it? I feel like, I, I feel like there, there's something nagging in the back of my head that may, uh, kind of reminds me of that, but I, I could be just imagining it. Yeah, yeah, there were, um, there were some articles written a few years back about the great story of the game that didn't happen. Um, because a lot of the details were um, like they were just 
inside people's heads yep. at the studio. You know, all these great stories of what happened and how that game ended up not getting finished um, and got cancelled. Uh, I thought they were awesome stories. And I think um, Matt Sayer, I think, did a, a, an Australian um, reporter did an article on that and he called up everyone who worked at oh, yeah, okay. Fishing Games. Try and put awesome. that together. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, how did things kind of develop from there? So yeah, you, like you said, you're working on some iPhone game, or oh, sorry, some mobile games, I should say. Um, and what's sort of, what was that sort of experience like? Because obviously, yeah, you've just been working on the crickets and Heroes mm-hmm. of uh, yeah, several different games there, console, PC, and then all of a sudden we're bouncing across to mobile. What's that trans? Uh, I've, I've now got transmission in my head. Uh, transition, <laughs> transition. What's that been like? Or what was uh, that like? It was really good. Um, it felt like it was a maturing of my skill set because when you work in a big studio and when I started at uh, IR Gurus they were maybe 120 people there um, over four projects and uh, I I liked it I thought it was great I got to learn from so many people Um, but you also don't get a chance to shine in quite the same way because you're stuck uh, working on a treadmill that someone's given you um, there's not necessarily a treadmill made for you, right? So yeah. you're doing work that is not the work that you necessarily are made for. I was working on cricket games for over a year. Um, are you I a cricket on... fan? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can understand how that might be grating a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I had all my friends when I grew up in Sale, they, they loved cricket. They'd play cricket all the time. And I would, every time it got to summer and school was out, they'd go disappear for three months. And I'd oh, play okay. my Sega games at home um, or hang out on the farm where we lived um, just because I just didn't play sports. Never really got into it. I, I had asthma, so... Um, yeah, okay, it stifles things a little bit. Exercise. Um, and, yeah. And then and then here I am in charge of batting for at least three months on the project. And I was <laughs> in charge of bowling for maybe nine months. Um, Got to make sure that front foot drive is nice and clean and polished. And <laughs> you see, I didn't get... know what a front foot drive was at the time. <laughs> I think I knew what silly mid-off was because there was a, a joke about it once. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a hilarious word to use. And I said that at some point and people were like, oh, yeah, you know about cricket. And I'm like, no, I extremely do not know about Surface cricket. level, about as surface level as you can get. <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, you obviously have to learn a little bit about the game through the nature of what you were working on. But. Oh, you do, yeah. And the best thing is we had uh, a couple of game designers and programmers there who were real cricket fans, and so they would impart all the knowledge that we needed. Um, but still, it's it's like I can't help but feel like I would have been better put on um, just designing the game engine, for instance, yep. at the time. But um, it taught me about gameplay coding and um, trying to make a game entertaining while also working with the, um, the constraints of it's a real game you know it's a real yeah. sport we can't make it fantasy cricket you know it's got to be real cricket um yeah it must be one of the hardest parts about creating any sort of sporting sim quote unquote mm-hmm. yeah i bet yeah yeah for us it was particularly um uh rigid we wanted to make it uh like the experience of watching cricket at home on the tv yeah. and so it had to look like tv cricket but then you control it at some points um so it was really interesting as a challenge um yeah, and then working from that. So sorry, sorry. This is a long. No, 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 <laughs> no. no that's totally fine with me. Uh, awesome. If we don't have segments where one of my, uh, the, myself or the guest are waffling in an episode, then we haven't done it right. So please continue. <laughs> Good. Okay. Um, so going from that environment where I'm working, not necessarily on work that I want to do, and I'm working on one specific thing for months. Yep. Like I remember working on a hair shader for about two months. Um, one very small part of the game um, going from that to doing everything and making every decision from a blank page was a, a really great challenge and it, it took my skills it was, it was like a test right yep. um, the wonderful thing about a test environment is that if you aren't ready for it then the test will show it Yeah. Okay. And yeah. I felt like the test showed my flaws the the um the things that i wasn't quite ready for but it also showed the things that i was definitely ready for um so yeah it was a great confidence boost but also you know it put me back in my place in some ways um well yeah you come from working on a few games like that and you feel like you can conquer the world and then all of a sudden it's maybe a small reality check of sorts yep totally yeah yeah but But um, everyone needs them from time to time so yeah of course yeah 
um, I made I made a few iPhone games for myself just for fun, um, yep. just to see you know what's the process of getting them on there, um, and they made me some passive income, um, and they were just entertaining for you know I tell my friends about them and they they'd be like oh yeah this is great, but they played them they actually enjoyed them they didn't just like support me um, yeah it wasn't all talk yeah it wasn't all talk yeah and I'm I'm very much of the the opinion that if you tell a friend about your stuff you've got to do it and not expect them to buy into it like i don't yeah. if if the only money that i ever make is convincing my friends to buy copies of my game then i'm gonna make like a hundred dollars right? yeah <laughs> like, which is still a darn sight more than what i'd make if i was doing the same thing but that's that's a whole other topic so. <laughs> i get that yeah <laughs> um yeah so i'm just like look friends you get a free copy of everything and i give them a free copy and they'd play it and they'd actually not just put it down and throw it away which was really good um and then yeah, just worked on some iPhone games. They, they they taught me that the thing that I wanted out of games was to have creative control because yep. the difference between working on my own projects and working on projects that um, that I knew were kind of not great design wise, um, I just got a, such a rewarding experience working on my own stuff. So uh, we're kind of slowly creeping towards a point where you're giving back a little bit here. Uh, there was a bit of lecturing that you've been doing. Mm, mm. Um, quantum slash SAE. Yes, yeah, yeah. I uh, I'm not there anymore, um, which is a bit disappointing because I love lecturing. Um, I think it's really exciting. But uh, yeah, I, I took on a role at um, a, a, a small school here in Melbourne called Academia um, yep. International, which is a company in the CBD, and they do a lot of courses on accounting, and they wanted to go into um, computer programming they like the idea of expanding into um, more traditional software engineering and their tape courses yep and uh, and a friend of mine had been putting the course together but he didn't have a good programmer to teach and it didn't have a good artist but he was um, yeah he was really enjoying the experience of putting the course this, like the, the template together and applying for the um, the course through the government and everything so yeah he got in touch with me and said listen I think let's make this happen great yeah let's make this happen I went there and we had four enrollments and that yeah, okay. was enough to sustain the course so I kept pushing it on and I kept like working hard to try and teach these four students and after a couple of months two of them were like you know what I don't think programming is for me and dropped out so there were only two left and the head of school was just like look this is we can't justify this we anymore we can't justify this yeah, yeah exactly yeah um, so that was my first experience teaching and after that um, just as that was ending um a good friend of mine rob walkley he uh he was teaching at uh sae quantum here in melbourne he was teaching the programming degree yep um and we previously worked together at um at uh ir gurus he was my uh programming lead um uh, back on cricket yeah so uh, he was going over to arena net he uh oh okay yeah he was going to work on um, guild wars and so he uh he got in touch with me and said hey listen i i know that you're um your teaching thing's not really working out, but I'm actually exiting mine right now. So would you like to come in for an interview? So I came in and it was just perfect. I stayed there for five years. I loved teaching at SAE and I had a great batch of students who who really cared. Um, and uh, who, you see, there's, there's, there's a lot of things about um, the private teaching sector that people that talk about, um, one of them, is that um, pay for um, pay for education kind of schools where you, you have yep. um, so you have you you have an interview entry but you don't have an entrance rank you don't have an ATAR score that you need to meet yeah um, that they're um, you know and you have a games course they're probably going to screw you and you're going to end up with a bad education yeah yeah I follow you yeah um this is a lot of conversation that happens but what's actually really good that i saw in the first couple of years when i started that really surprised me was that there are people who have low atars who are very bright but they come from poor families and without that kind of school and teachers who really care they actually give an opportunity yeah they give an opportunity they would probably just have a job in a shop somewhere well yeah that's that's one of the things and um Without naming the area that I used to teach in, you and I discussed it beforehand, but yep, yep. There, there, there was a bit of a stigma around the area about if you're from here, you're not really going to make much of yourself. 
And I, I used to teach year 12s quite a lot. So ATAR was obviously a really big deal for them. It was their final year of school. Um, and in a lot of cases, I'd probably say maybe a quarter to a third of the, the kids that came through, half of them are like, I'm the first person in my family to ever actually make it to the end of year 12. And that in and of itself was a huge achievement. And so uh, and in some respects, it almost made the job a little bit easier for me because they were so motivated to be that person for the family. And so I only I always thought about, well, they're actually going to do okay with themselves because they're they're self-motivated. Whatever whatever they end up going on to do, and maybe maybe it won't out, work out for all of them. That's that's the reality of reality of life. Some people you know find their way in. Some people fall by the way. So, you know, whatever. But um, they always had the right attitude. So I always thought that was really going to bode well for them. Um, something that my my newer area maybe they don't quite possess that same sort of attitude. I think that come from a slightly better off background. I think it's just maybe this expectation that things will happen and. It, yeah. I mean, it's not it's not a foreign concept, I think, to any of us. That sort of attitude we've we've seen and heard it all before. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's it's a really valuable thing that sort of mentality that I that I saw from the kids at my old at my old place. And uh, yeah, anyone anyone like that, I think it's 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 great. So yeah, yeah, good. I'm glad to hear you are working with people with that sort of attitude because I think it bodes well for anyone that's entering the games business if that's the way they want to approach it. Yeah, totally agree, totally agree, yeah. And it was wonderful. It was so rewarding to be there, and yeah, I would do it again once I'm finished with this. Glad to hear it. Yeah. It's a decent project you're working on, though, and I think that's probably the best way to transition into it. So we're talking Team Fan Club here, and we're talking Dead Static Drive, which has been, uh, I've, I've seen the phrase Grand Theft Cthulhu. Um, we, were, we were talking before, obviously, about some little horror sort of themes. For anyone who's not familiar with the game, I better get you to pitch it first just uh we better do get the business sort of stuff out of the way here tell, tell us a little bit about dead static drive okay um it's a nightmare road trip through um cosmic horror americana so the united states route 66 it's turned into a wasteland or it's turning into a wasteland uh while simultaneously you're just a character who's on a road trip for fun um and everything starts falling apart and the game is about how you respond to that. And how long has it been in development for now? Uh, and no, no d- different sort of capacity. Sorry, that's not a, that's not a loaded question to have a crack or anything like that. <laughs> it's, been, it's been in development for a while. Um, I started it at the end of 2014. So yep. 2015 was the first year where I was really taking it seriously. Um, and so it's what been four years now yeah um during that time uh i spent a decent amount of it working part-time just while i was teaching um and i also had my daughter um during that period so there was a good maybe eight months or nine months that i took off yeah it was just kind of treading water for a while yeah exactly yeah it was posting gifs and um pushing you know the graphics forwards a little bit at a time but not really working on the game because i just couldn't you know you take care of a kid and uh, my daughter, when she was born, she was a little bit sick, um, but she's much better now. So we Glad to hear it. spent a lot of time in the hospital, you know? And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, so um, yeah. So I would say if we wanted to put it together, how much time I've spent personally full-time on it, yeah. it's probably three years. Um, but now this year, this past year, we've really started heavily working on it um, as a team. And so there's eight people on the game right now, um, pushing forward to have a big show um, as soon as we can. And obviously, yeah, things are ramping up. And before before we started recording, we were talking about how the game recently featured on the Xbox stage at E3, which would be quite a thrill, I'm sure. Yes, such a thrill, yeah. How does such a thing come about? Uh, you've got to be um, very lucky, I think, um, and just get the right kind of exposure. I've been showing the game off at PAX Australia as much as I can. And what's yeah. wonderful about um, uh, platforms like uh, Microsoft is that they come to visit shows like PAX Australia. So if you're making an indie game um, and some of the audience might be in the, in that basket, yep. then um, it's a great opportunity to actually meet people showing your game off at a, an opportunity like PAX Australia, um, especially for indies. They're very indie focused yeah. at PAX Australia um, compared with other PAX conventions. And uh, yeah, um, Chris Charla from Microsoft has been coming year after year and he's been very keen to look at the game and see how it's pro- been progressing. And I've got another uh, uh, a number of other um, 
cool friends who I've made through Microsoft um, through showing at conventions who were just like into it they just got it which is great you know some people get games and some people don't they got it and so they said listen we want you to be part of our um, part of our team and I mean one of the great things even if that sort of opportunity doesn't emerge it's also a great networking opportunity with other developers and those sort of things people get to share ideas and learn off each other and I think that's great for anyone who's trying to find their way into the business Mm, absolutely yeah you've got to be you've got to be part of a community I mean it's it's kind of just making friends and knowing people who are around it really helps you to know um, what kinds of things are possible you know you don't know what you don't know until you go out and find out yeah absolutely uh, so before we started recording we were talking about how that all kind of came to be in the end and the moment you found out the game was going to be at the conference um, maybe you'd like to regale uh, our listeners there maybe just talk to them a little bit about how that actually came to be and what, what that was like and how you found out about it etc etc sure of course because I, um, I found that kind of entertaining myself <laughs> well I uh, for, for a few years I've been working out of um, the library and out of cafes I haven't had an office and so it was really exciting. I was at the arcade here in Melbourne, which is a big, um, uh, a big studio where um, a number of development houses in Melbourne work. And great spot. Yeah, great spot. And uh, and I was going in there to talk to Kerry, the uh, arcade manager, about the possibility of us taking Fan Club in there and maybe getting an office or even just office space at all. Yeah. Um, and while I was in there, I got a, a phone call on my mobile, and uh, and I saw the phone number was Seattle and the cogs start working at that point i'm just yeah my brain's like who is this i'm I'm like seeing these numbers and symbols and i knew that it was something you know people from seattle and um, i thought it might be someone from microsoft because i've had a call from them before um i i was like i gotta get this back so i finished my tour which we were in the middle of at the arcade and then I raced home. Couldn't have been a worse time potentially for it. but No, no, I know. It was terrible timing. And so as soon as I got home and I knew that the time when I was being um, shown around, it was maybe around six in the afternoon yeah. um, in Seattle, but it was midday here. Um, yeah, so I called them back and they answered my, my call straight away and they're like, yep, Mike, got an opportunity for you. And so that was so exciting for me to actually have a chance to... Um, to make a video and have it shown off at E3. So I've been sitting on the um, the chance that I'd have something shown off there, not knowing that it was going to go through um, for a few weeks. And it was really exciting to see it up on the big stage. And it was in some good company. I mean, ignoring obviously the, the AAA presence and obviously that, that consumes a lot of the conference. That that uh, indie little period there, there were, there were some brilliant titles in there. Um, not, not the only Aussie game along the way as well. Um, no, Anthony Tan's know. game in there, and uh, yeah, we, was yeah. it we we are the woods we we the woods. Um, I think we the woods might be it. Yeah, I haven't met yeah. Anthony Tan yet, but I've seen that game around. Um, uh, Beautiful looking game Twitter. with the deer. Yeah, the good looking game with the deer, and it's got that kind of Studio Ghibli kind of style. Yeah, gorgeous. I can't wait to check that out in person, and um, and also um, Totem Teller. Um, yep, which is the grinning pickle game um, about. I don't even know. It's about exploration. It's about it's an experiential game with gorgeous pixel like dithered pixel graphics. Yeah, Adam Teller. It's, it it looks incredible, and that had like a a, a snippet right at the end shown of it. And it's, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, it was good to see some Aussies representing on the E three stage there. Yeah. Um, especially with the the other big platform holder not being present, there was you know it stifles opportunities a little bit, and it was it was good to see that with that with that limited slice, you guys really took a hold of it and really really impressed i mean i just as as i was kind of sifting through and i was doing coverage for player two at the time and i'm you know following hashtags and those sort of things to see what people are kind of talking about and when that indie segment kind of popped up yours was one of the games that i saw get discussed amongst amongst the you know a certain group the most which was which was great to see so clearly won a few hearts in that particular well in that what would it have been two and a half minutes that they were throwing games out yeah, there give yeah, or take yeah, exactly small so, window of time but it's great and it had a real impact so yeah. and I mean we know that that can work we've seen uh, the likes of Cuphead pop up in that little segment and then we know mm-hmm. what that became so mm, yeah yeah, um, yeah. That, that bodes really well so thank you winding back to the game a little bit how did the idea actually come about um Funnily enough, that uh, the original idea that I got for Dead Static Drive was back when I was working at Futuretronics. Um, I was this was before I'd gone back to university. You know, I was 
um, just playing around with roguelikes. Um, but when I was working at Futuretronics, I got my hands on um, a Game Boy Advance SP. And I was like, this is a cool piece of hardware. Like, it's a little rectangle. And the little clamshell thing was brilliant. It was brilliant, right? And, um, and so I played with the devices we were selling for it. And I was like, this is really... This, this is a great game. I would love to have this in my pocket and pull it out and then play like a little zombie game maybe. Yeah. So I was designing this... At the time, it was a zombie survival game. Um, and it was all about... Um, you're given you're presented with different buildings it would be a hospital or a school and it would be assaulted throughout the night um by horrific things and your job would be to make sure that you're surviving and uh, barricading the walls barricading the um the doors and the windows yeah but a great deal of the game would be in classic horror movie style the horror um the zombies aren't the threat the real threat is the people there because if you can't get along you can't survive yeah, someone will put you down before the zombies do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and so I was like, "That's going to be the game. It's going to be. It's going to be like not of the Living Dead, and yep. you might be the one survivor because everyone else kills each other." And it's just slowly evolved from that point. Yeah, totally. It did into, yeah. so into what it is now. That that game's been percolating in my head for a few years now, um, and then eventually um, it tra- it morphed into a different game idea. Um, because I've, I've got maybe about seven or eight game ideas that are constantly yep. there. They're like, oh, this is, this is, what about, what if I took this idea in this direction? You know, what if yep. I ch- added a bear, you know, or what if I added this, you know, what could I do if I added these different um, components to the game? Um, and this... I mean, feel free to add a bear to Dead Static Drive and get like the uh, the, the zombie from Days Gone in there. <laughs> what I what I dubbed of the zombie bear anyway. But... Let's wait and see, okay? Not giving anything away. <laughs> Um, major when, major plot spoilers there. Yeah, totally, totally. Damn it. Um, when uh, when Unreal Four came out, I was working on another game idea, and um, and I was it was it was a variation of this same game, but um, I was work- making my own engine for it, and this was when I was w- working as a teacher, so I had no pressure to make this game actually yeah. happen. Um, I was just like using it as a great learning experience to make an own, my own engine, um, and Unreal Four came out and got announced as having free source code access and all of these great opportunities for developers to get on board with a high quality engine and i'd already used unreal before on um, sin city and wrote ahead and my own modding experience so i was like this is a done deal i'm going to shift this game across to unreal makes sense yeah yep and uh and then it came out and it had some great um vehicle demos in it this is how you make a game with vehicles and i was like hey I'm making a top-down zombie game. Why not jump in a car and mow them down? So I started playing with that idea and um, really quickly decided this is where this game is going. This is this is something that I needed in there. And um, that combined with my love and my, my, my family's love of Americana and road trips yep. and growing up in a small town, you drive everywhere. And so I'm really familiar with that kind of wide open spaces, lots of driving. Um, yeah, it was just I, I need to make this game. That just so, you and the road sort of feel and Yeah. And God knows what's outside the window sort of thing. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and when I was a, a kid and I'd be driving for hours upon end, I'd usually make up stories about what was out there behind like beyond the mist and beyond the headlights in the darkness, what was hiding yep. behind it. And yeah, there's so much horror Fuel. Yeah, I, I can see why Silent Hill and those sorts of things really resonated with you when you were younger. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. um, and it's always actually really interesting to see like how some of these these games actually evolve. You know, they started this very simple concept that may or may not actually stand up, but then you know that moment of inspiration kicks, and all of a sudden you pivot and take things in a slightly different direction. That continues to adapt. And I mean, I have, uh, you, you mentioned obviously that Dead State Drive's been at uh, PAX a few times over the journey and I've seen it there over a few years and I've messed around with it over a few years. And seeing that gradual evolution and little things that pop up and change and inclusions and subtractions every now and then, or well, at least maybe perceived subtractions, I, I, it's a year apart every time I see it. So it's a little bit hard to try and exactly uh, lock it down, but it's really interesting seeing the evolution and now hearing about the evolution of that game. And any other games just like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you were talking about how you were doing your little tour through the arcade and oh, your 
uh, you're looking at uh, making your way in there and it seems like from what we were saying before it's now going to happen or a done it, deal it, or it yeah it has happened right now I uh, I'm in there for the next year at least we've got um, we've got a, a year lease right now and um, it's great it's really really good I've gone from an individual you know six months ago it was just me working on the game and then uh, occasionally I get a friend to do a couple of weeks worth of work when I could afford yep. them um, and now it's gone from that to having eight people or nine people on the project I'm going to have maybe three other people start this week to do small amounts of work on top cool. of that um, yeah I'm getting I'm getting everything done that I need done making sure that I've still got time to work on the game myself and so, so how does that? Uh, obviously, you've you've worked in teams that have been a little bit larger than this over the journey. But how does that uh, for you personally? You've you've had kind of almost sole control of this this thing for for years, and then all of a sudden, other people are getting involved. Is that uh, relinquishing of some degree of control? Does that get a little bit tricky because it's kind of been your baby for so long? Um, some parts of it does. Oh, it's it's. It's the funniest thing. I think some parts of it, I'm so help. I, I'm so uh, great, grateful for the help that I'm getting. Right, like yep. people will be doing work. I know we've talked about the kinds of work that I want them to do, and they're providing not just the work that I want, but also a fresh take on ideas yep. that I already have. Um, and that's wonderful. It's wonderful to see it start blossoming and start turning into something that that I can play and that I yep. can experience for the first time, which is amazing. Um, but then there'll also be little tiny things where I'm like, you know what, that font doesn't work. Yeah. With my vision, you know. I mean, yeah, I'm no, not of course. saying that it's bad as a choice. It's just because because I've got this. It doesn't quite click the way yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's making this game. There's been such a um, an experience so far of filtering out things that I know won't work and bringing in things that I know will work. And so I've built this kind of rickety um, scaffolding for the the rest of the game that is yet to come that we're still working yep. on um, that actually conveying that to people is a lot harder than it might have been had they been on the project from the start and they could have made those decisions with me yeah I understood um, because I need to make sure that I, I communicate everything and it's it's really hard to because I know what will work and what won't work you know it's like when um, yeah, people are asked what's the definition of pornography it, I can't I can't define it but I know it when I see it and yeah I know this game so well and I know the future of what this game is going to look like so well but it's hard to tell people exactly what does and doesn't work because yeah you, you, when you see it you know it yeah exactly yeah. yeah or when you hear it you know it yeah 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 but there's, also, there's a feel it, there's a feel yeah but that that said I don't want to be an auteur you know I don't want to be someone who's like this pompous stuck up I don't want to collaborate you must do my vision I don't want to be that kind of person either. If people are brought onto the project, I want them to have the free reign to actually exercise that, like, creative ability. Because that's why they—that's why they're in games too. You know, they're not. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's become a collaborative process, and yeah. I mean, you, you can, as a result, and this can anyone, whatever, whatever the profession, if they're they're kind of working on their own by and large, you it becomes a little bit harder to see the forest from the trees and maybe there are other perspectives out there that would actually help shape the project even more so and it's only when those voices get involved that maybe you consider things differently or things that you hadn't even considered in the first place so mm. I'd imagine that's that's fantastic and I guess by extension even now that you're in the arcade and having so many other talented people around you some very successful people around you um, yeah. I'm sure that helps a great deal as well you, totally you, you're working alongside the samurai punk folk who they're starting to build a fair portfolio these days. <laughs> they really are. Yeah, they're, they're doing a fantastic job. And not just that, being around um, Epic, you know, Chris Murphy yep. has been in the arcade. And uh, in the first week that I was there, he came up and um, was asking me about one feature I was working on. And he gave me some advice for stuff that I didn't know you could do in Unreal that's yep. shaved off months of development time. That's fantastic. Yeah, and just... You know, just one little conversation. Yeah, exactly. And and you cannot you cannot um, overestimate uh, underestimate the the value of that, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I've, I've I've only been as we spoke about beforehand. I've only been to the arcade once, but just just walking around and it, and it was also a Saturday, so it's not like there, there wasn't a ton of activity. Yep, yep. Um, I'll have to get in. My school holidays are coming up. I'll have to I'll have to come down during the break. Uh, but. Just just walking around through the through the offices there, and 
seeing all the different teams in their different spots, it's it's so easy to just pick up on little things and there's little nuggets that people bring from their past experiences that will help an incredible amount, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. So as we start to, to kind of bring things a little bit back to, to you more specifically, have there been any particular people along the way that have really served in the, as an inspiration for what you've done, whether they operate in the games business or external to that or... I'd imagine maybe someone that's had a little bit to do with some of those horror games might might have crept in along the way. Oh, it's fascinating. Um, I'm not really someone... I mean, when it comes to video games, I don't know many of the creators. Yep. Um, I'm not someone who's been... Um, who's really been like, oh, that person made that video game. Yep. Because I've always kind of thought to myself, well, games, they're made by a dozen programmers. A team, yeah. Yeah, a team, yeah. yeah. I don't really... Whenever they say it's, you know, the new game by... Um, whoever Hideo Kojima yeah exactly Kojima I'm just like yeah sure it is yeah like I mean it's a game by a bunch of cool people and but yeah but I mean uh, when it comes to books uh, yep. when it comes to novels that for me is usually a very different thing I'm like yeah okay that author has full control over what they do and what that um, and what works and what doesn't so some authors uh, horror authors in particular I'm like I will go read everything that they write because I know that that will always work for me. Um, and, and do you feel like that's served as any sort of inspiration for what you're doing in the games business? Whether that's, uh, and obviously, you know, if you're talking about novels, you may be thinking, I'm thinking more tone and those sorts of things, but does that have any sort of bearing on the way oh, you totally. approach the yeah. development? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've wanted to, um, I mean, I, I love, when I, when I read horror, there's certain things that I look for. One of them is um, having the right kind of content that will draw people in. Yeah. One of them is having the right kind of... Um, uh, do you have complexity in the ideas there? You know, is there a lot to kind of draw out of it? And yep. so while I've been finding uh, um, the kinds of books that I want to read, the kind of information that I want to digest in films as well, um, mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, I want to make games and I want to make games that do that, that that when people kind of start to, to experience them, they might not take everything in for the first time, but they know that there's an underlying depth there. And then when they yep. replay it or when they re-experience it, they'll be like, you know what? There's a lot to get out of this. And you could even- You start to see those other layers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I want I want video games to be texts in year 12 in, in VCE, right? I want people to play games um, and everyone to have to play a game and to be like, you know, what does this mean? What is the meaning of this mechanic? Look, that's an idea I can get around. I might drop teaching maths and start teaching English if we're going to start bringing those in as texts. That's that. I think I could make that transition. I'm sure. Great. Yeah, you can do that. That's easy. Sure. Um, I, I write a bit for a living. That's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, T. E. D. Klein is an author whose works I absolutely love, and yep. Gene Wolfe as well. Gene Wolfe has written. Um, a lot of science fiction but he also writes horror short stories and sometimes set in kind of Lovecraftian worlds or with like just interesting interesting settings and a whole lot of depth in them and um, yeah I will always I'll, I think Gene Wolfe is someone who will be um, I'll read until I'm until I'm dead and read yeah, that, his works that sounds alright <laughs> uh, so what what have been some of the the kind of more valuable more important lessons that you've learned as you've made your way through this games development sphere so far anything uh, that's really maybe uh, a particular phrase that someone said you know don't just you know whatever it is just don't forget this yeah. or, or what it, whatever the case may be has there been anything like that that's really clicked and kind of stuck with you and it's that thing that nags in the back of your mind as you're as you're working away on dead state drive or anything else yeah well one of them one of them that i used to always say back when i was at transmission was we've got the source code so we can do anything yeah, okay. because people would always come up especially producers they'd come up and say hey can we do this you know and we'd always uh, a lot of programmers the first response would be uh, especially there was this one programmer who was this complete uptight guy who was like I want to make this one game exactly how I want it to be stay within the box new ideas. exactly yeah and he was always just like oh, okay now you can't do it like that because of XYZ and my response and I kind of said it out loud in part because I wanted to like veto him. You were feeling argumentative. Yeah, part of it was that. <laughs> part of it was just I'm I'm just like, look, you want me to make a game like that? Let's talk about it. You know, 
absolutely we can do anything we want because we've got the source code the only limits yep. that we have are outside of that so can we do it yes but it's a matter of do you want to take resources away from somewhere else do you want to put yep. extra money on the game um you know uh do you want to get creative with your implementation of that you know um do you want it to be polished you know there's so many things that we can do but i was just like yeah we can do anything we got the source code um and actually that came back to bite me today because i haven't said that for a while um i've not uh, here we I've go. Not actually been thinking like that especially recently because i've just been thinking like i've i'm making this game i know what this game looks like and i was asking for help on twitter and a, a good friend of mine from uni jack smith he was like look mate just look into the source code you can look at you can find the problem yourself because I was asking for help in a problem. Yeah, I, I, I did see you reach out. That yeah, that was yeah. earlier today, correct? Yeah, yeah it was earlier yeah. today, and it was complete. The, the, fixing the problem is completely within my scope. I can fix it. All I need to do is look at the source code. I can do anything. But it just comes down to time and energy time and resources. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Resources. What trade offs are there? But honestly, the amount of time that I spent asking people for help, um, I could have looked into it myself, and I probably should yeah. have. So. That one stuck with me, although it should have stuck with me a little bit better. <laughs> I mean, I think we all have lapses from time to time, and yep. sometimes you know things like that serve as a good reminder that we sometimes yeah. ne- need every now and then. So it's no, not necessarily a bad thing at all. Yeah. Uh, what have been some of those bigger mountains, those bigger challenges you've had to overcome so far? Oh, honestly, I think overcoming um, blank page. Big, yeah okay writers getting started big thing. getting started yeah getting started on a single feature or getting started on a single project can be very hard for a lot of people um and so i think learning to overcome that by just prototyping something and knowing that you can throw things away that was that was really valuable that sounds right and uh finally when it comes to this little particular segment uh any particular highlights and memories? Now, I feel like obviously the the Xbox One recently is going to be right up there, if if not at very top. But have there had there been any particularly big moments that will, you just feel like I'm always going to treasure this particular thing from from my games development journey? Because obviously, you know, with a child, there's there's other uh, mm. far more important moments at the end of the day that you that you treasure. But but contained within this games thing is something that you're really going to take away. Yeah, I think probably the thing that I've enjoyed the most um out of making games has been the opportunity to do things that i never got a chance to do otherwise so um making games has given me chances to go to gdc and when i've gone there to gdc um i've had the support from people to say look you should you should take a trip through the us because you've always wanted to do that and i've done that and i've learned so much and seen so many things that I just feel so lucky to have seen that I always wanted to see when I was a kid. I've been able to see some of um, the Canyonlands in the um, central US through Utah. And um, I got to drive all the way through California and just see remote towns and just be alone in the middle of nowhere. And it was just phenomenal. It, it's just, it's so inspiring for me. And just thinking of the things... Yeah, I was going to say, the way you're describing that sounds very much like Dead Static Drive there. It totally is. It totally is, yeah. And I did that um, when I was around midway through the project. So I feel like I'm fairly at the, close to the tail end right now. Um, but in the middle of the project, exactly when I needed to, to, to get the context that I needed for the game. But also, it just an experience for my life. Like, yeah. if this... If this game comes out and it's a blip on the radar and no one cares about it, it doesn't matter because I got to have this wonderful experience, you know? Being able to make something that's fully under my control, um, that is an exercise of my creative endeavors, right? Working so hard for it doesn't have to be a success because it already kind of is. The experience of making it's been so wonderful. Yeah, that that's actually... I mean, that, that sort of idea... Very, very different sort of approach but even what I try to get out of having this show and these episodes and being able to share like I don't fancy myself as being necessarily the most creative guy in terms of you know artistically the most creative but um, I, I feel like this this sort of format what I do in this game space is that sort of outlet and I actually I get a lot from it because of very very, very similar sorts of reasons that you're talking about there yeah. um, and I I do get proud when I, I put that episode out, and like I probably will when this when this one finally pops up in uh, whatever whatever the date happens to be when that actually occurs, and see it out there, and that's that's kind of a big deal. So mm-hmm. um, I look forward to 
looking on Twitter, for example, when uh, when when Dead Dead Static Drive uh, releases and kind of that sort of, I'd imagine you know years of excitement and slow build up and all those mm. sort of things finally kind of bubble over. It'll <laughs> yes, I God God help our Twitter feeds that day. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you see the future holding for you? Where, where, where do things you obviously talk about it. you've got other ideas chewing in the back of your head I'm not going to ask you to spill the beans on any of those that's 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 a bit too bold of me uh, but how do you see things kind of progressing from here oh well honestly I want the game to come out and I'm planning yep. right now for the game to come out and then to have a decent amount of post-release uh, support oh great um, I want to make sure that the game is supported with, with like a blank period of time where I have no expectations that I'll be working on new features or anything I'll just be fixing any bugs making sure people have a good experience when they're playing the game yeah. um, and then after I've been able to do that um, I've got plans for an update for the game um, that'll, that'll improve and add new content um, yeah. but also uh, I have other ideas that are related to the Dead Static Drive um, concept uh, two pretty big ideas um, and that's not even entering different games that I've been wanting to work on for a long time yeah okay so, um, what, what you're trying to tell me is there's a big dirty number two coming up and that's, that's <laughs> even the way you emphasize the word two then like oh, oh, right on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's wait and see but no, um, that's, the, the, there's, the, there's lots of water to pass under the bridge before that we get to that yeah so. exactly exactly the, be, the best thing is that um, I am in a position where um, I will be able to work on um, further games in the future um, and that's the best place to be so long as I can yeah, be sure. making games I'm going to be happy that security I guess that comes with it yes exactly yeah as we wrap things up I've got one final proper question before we do any social bits and pieces uh, and this is again I don't know if you've caught any past episodes so who knows maybe I'm just springing this on you uh, is there one dream game that you wish that you could always have been credited for any game throughout the history of the, the business there one game that you'd love that the credits roll at the end of it and there's your name doesn't have to be the the you know the head honcho on it we don't have to boot Kojima out of Metal Gear or Todd Howard out of uh, an Elder Scrolls game or whatever the case may be but but for you to feature somewhere in that is there a particular game that springs to mind i think it'd be dark souls oh yeah okay um and that's actually like i was a really early souls player um i yeah. heard about um uh, demon souls before it was even translated into english and you could only play it in japanese and... i do remember that myself now i'm not a big souls guy but i saw that and i remember the first time it actually got revealed kind of western side and it kind of got scoffed at at first yeah yeah it people like, like it looks what, like what, shit what's this it doesn't that looks weird but um, yeah. I read a game critics piece on um, this weird game from Japan and I was like this sounds like it's up my alley and so I um, I looked out there and I was like listen can I get it can I play it in the Japanese version should I oh no I'll just wait until the English one comes out so I pre-ordered it I got the first Demon Souls when it came out in English and I played it and I loved it and I tried to tell my friends about it and I was like it's hard but it's like a puzzle game where you, you've got to pick up the right items and you've got to learn the environments and just so much great stuff that I was excited by. Um, and then I saw an advertisement um, from From Software and they were hiring for the next big From Software dungeon game. And I was like, it's in Japan. I could be working on a kind of Demon Souls sequel. How incredible would that be? And... Um, I just didn't apply. I didn't apply for the job. Fair enough. And I regretted that. <laughs> I've regretted that for the whole time because it was Dark Souls, right? And I could have actually been credited had I applied, gone over and worked in Japan for a bit and gotten the job, of course. But but who knows? Maybe you would never have landed on Dead Static Drive and what's what's coming now. So there's there's all those what-ifs that kind of come with, come with this business and... Mm-hmm. You just, I guess, latch on to whatever, whatever opportunities emerge and you make the best of them. You yeah. absolutely are in the case of this. Yeah. So as we wrap things up, uh, if people, our listeners, want to learn a little bit more about you, a little bit more about the game, uh, anything really, where would the best place for them to go be? Well, jump on Twitter, look for Mike Blackney uh, or Mike Black, my handle is, um, Kurt Russell Fan Club. Or if you just go to uh, mikeblackney.com, that'll redirect you to my Twitter. 
Um, go to Dead Static Drive on Twitter. Check me out there as well. Or um, I don't know, just just Google Grand Theft Cthulhu. You did totally play me with MikeBlackney.com because when I was doing my research before, I thought, oh, he's got his own personal URL. This will be great for source of information. And it just ratted me straight back to your Twitter. I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, for a, a All right, back to time, LinkedIn. I, I used to have a portfolio there, but when Dead Static Drive started to be my thing, I was like, you know what? My portfolio is not doing anything for me. I'm not applying. I've got too many other things anymore. to juggle. Yeah. Uh, so, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Um, lastly, do you have a rough ETA on the game itself? I don't, but I will be announcing it very loudly the very second I know. <laughs> oh, good to hear. And uh, actually, for those interested, what platforms would they be able to play the game on? It's going to be launching on PC and Xbox. Good to hear. Uh, that's right. Yeah, the Xbox stage, obviously. That was that. That was a Game Pass-related thing too. Was that something they yes, said there? Was. Was that... Yeah, day yeah. one, the day that Dead Static Drive launches, it's going to be available on Game Pass. So... If you're keen to play the game, you, you can get it by either buying it on uh, PC or Xbox, or you can sign up for Game Pass on PC or Game Pass on Xbox. And you'll be Great opportunity for all Xbox and PC players. So yeah. definitely one to watch. Mike, as I said, thank you very much for having me, uh, having uh, joining me on the show today. My God, it's been <laughs> it's been a long day. Uh, for, for joining me on the show today, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on here. It's been great to hear your story and have you share it with our listeners. Um, thank you again. Thanks for having me. And thank you very much for listening. See you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Mike's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.